Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Photo Finale, Media Clip, Advertech Inc., Got Photo, IQ, Photobook AI, the IPI Member Network, and MailPix. Hello and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm Gary Peugeot and today we're being joined by Rick Bellamy, the CEO of RPI. Hey Rick, how are you today? I'm doing well, Gary. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, doing great. Well, RPI has been in the news the last couple weeks because of some uh, acquisition uh, news and we thought we'd get on the horn with Rick to talk a little bit about that, about the photo printing side of the industry and some of the directions it's taking. So, Rick, can you at first tell us a little bit about uh, RPI as a company? Uh, it's been around about 40 years. I think there's a lot of people who know of the company as one of the larger white label printing suppliers, but you can kind of share some of the history of the company? Yeah, absolutely. The company was started in. Uh, 1979 by Barry Reichling uh, in a response to a gap in the market uh, around uh, the, the production of legal documentation in particular, and uh, was an early ad- adapter of uh, adopter of uh, digital printing when you know you could get any color you wanted as long as it was black. Right. Um, about 99, um, Barry's son Ted Reichling came back to the business. Um, a stint in the prosecuting attorney's office and uh, came up with an innovative solution um, to allow people to upload photos and create a personalized notepad, which is an early, an early photo application. Um, sure. And named a website in which they sold that, iPads.com, which was a name I made fun of until Apple released a product of that type. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so that was very successful by 2006, uh, the company had figured out how to create a mass customization platform that allowed them to produce one-off product under scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, in doing so was servicing a lot of the photo industry as a private label provider. So they ended up, uh, uh, selling off the commercial side of their business and really just focusing on manufacturing um, mm-hmm. of the yeah. personalized print products. Um, you know, today uh, we span uh, locations all over the world with uh, owned locations in Eindhoven, Atlanta, Rochester, New York, uh, Boise, Idaho, Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. and now with this acquisition, San Francisco, California. Um, and we uh, also have a global distribution platform, which can directly integrate with any digital system in the world. Never found one that we can't integrate with and accept orders and route that digital content to the best place in the world to produce almost any personalized product from mm-hmm. apparel to gifting items to the flat printed products that are produced in our internal facilities. So. So does that do, do does that have to be part of your network, or can third parties be a part of that? 
we carefully choose our production partners strategically sure. um, and make sure that we are managing the quality and the service delivery times um, sure. very carefully. And then we work with our partners as well to help them to improve their productivity mm -hmm. uh, along with, uh, you know, as we learn as we learn to do so as well ourselves in manufacturing these personalized products. So the news is, of course, that you've acquired Blurb, which was one of the largest self-publishing platforms, not only photo books, but, you know, magazines and uh, uh, novels and personal publishing of all kinds, uh, some wall decor and some other items. And you had a relationship with them actually going back to 2005. Yes, we're really excited to be uh, adding Blurb into the RPI family. So, and yes, as you as you mentioned, Gary, uh, Blurb and RPI have been partners since 2005 when Eileen Gittins, the founder of Blurb, yep. had the concept that making a professional quality book shouldn't be so hard and you should be able to just <laughs> make one. Right. Uh, so it's crazy, and, crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> She she came to Ted Reichling and uh, and the, the rest is history. We've been a strategic partner with them every every since. And today we produce a mass uh, vast majority of their print volumes. Um, and so for us, it was a natural fit. Sure. Um, as uh, you know, there as you mentioned, uh, a big part of their customer base is the creative professional, whether that's an author or whether that is a photographer or whether that is a designer producing marketing materials. Sure. The vast majority of their users are in that creative professional space. Um, but it made made sense for us as an acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, Had you already been servicing those type of clients before the sort of creative professional space through some of your other customers? Or is that sort of the growth potential you see? Uh, yes and yes. So we produce uh, for both B2B and B2C markets. Um, mm -hmm. And a big focus of ours over the last several years actually has been growing in those B2B market segments. Right. So business products, marketing materials, mm -hmm. um, as a, a way to drive personalization into those markets. Um, right. You know, as we see the benefit of personalization in whether that's a sales call or whether that's the ability to produce a, a small number of business cards. So. So tell us a little bit about how blurb fits in, because like you mentioned, like you said before, you've always been sort of a white label behind the scenes company industry. People know who RPI is. Uh, and in the last you know few years, you've acquired color centric, which owned the, the peekaboo brand, but you know, you're really not known as being a, in, in front of the end user kind of uh, company and, you know, Blurb is. So where, how does Blurb fit in? Um, as I mentioned, a big part of Blurb's uh, um, user base is based as a creative professional. So, sure. um, and they have one of the best, uh, I guess now we do have one of the best rendering engines and e-commerce platforms out there. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually work with Blurb already on many of the private label applications. We, for example, um, service mm -hmm. 23andMe uh, in the DNA market and producing a personalized product for them. Um, oh. So 
we are not moving away from our private label and servicing our customers in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and having access to that creative professional and um, helping drive personalization into their everyday life uh, is, and especially around the publishing and, uh, and um, yeah, especially around the publishing space uh, made perfect sense for us as the next uh, step in our building of a personalization platform that spans the services from everything from a creative builder uh, all the way through logistics that uh, deliver a personalized product to your home or business in, in just a few days. Um, so it was a it was a natural extension uh, for us, and also we've known them for, as I mentioned, since their founding. So. Yeah. The ability to bring them in as part of the family um, mm-hmm. was uh, it was a very uh, strategic opportunity that we couldn't pass up. And and from a geographic standpoint, they're not far away, right? <laughs> they are not far away, and uh, very similar cultures as well. So yeah. um, we've we've grown up together. Uh, mm-hmm. So. It just made sense for us to move in together, as you might say. <laughs> so, so, so from what you've said, it sounds to me like it's part, it's a part of a, a, a strategy, a technology um, strategy as well. Cause like you said, they sort they had some rendering technology that you were interested in. And also it, it appears that, you know, the management of blurb is staying along. So you're going to get some uh, expertise in that area as well. Exactly. So very much a, a additional technology, uh, service uh, add-on to our existing add-on services of mm-hmm. uh, PrinterNet, uh, which we acquired as part of the soft print acquisition, mm-hmm. um, which allows us to, you know, uh, add workflow, uh, mass customization workflows into uh, various uh, print facilities from, uh, from uh, large big box retailers to, uh, print facilities all over the world. Um, add that to Peekaboo, which is very focused on private label uh, impl- applications. So we're, we're expanding our private label today that runs Office Depot photo site, for example. Um, and now we're adding in MagCloud and Blurb. So access mm-hmm. to that creative professional and our ability to utilize um, the services that they excel in uh, right. to enable brands, quite frankly, to step into this world of personalization, whether that's for uh, brand loyalty applications or whether that is for increased conversion or whether that's for personal usage. So there's been some consolidation uh, in the industry in the last year is if you've been, I'm sure you've noticed, right? (laughs) So yes, to say the least. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's not only in the photo personalization space, uh, but it's also, you know, generally in printing, right? You had quad and LSC trying to get together and that kind of fell through and you've had other, uh, people, is this being driven by technology? Because it's become so efficient now that there's so much capacity in the industry now that it kind of lends itself to that. Or is it because the market isn't growing as much? And so that's driving it. Or is it because from my standpoint, I'm seeing a lot of venture capital uh, kind of sitting, coming into play now, kind of initiating some of these activities. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Photo retailers, energize your sales with ShareMe Chat, the proven texting platform. Using chat to text on your website keeps your customers connected and buying. See us at Pro and IPI to find out why dealers using ShareMe Chat close more sales without adding staff. Find out more at shareme.chat. Well, I can share my perspective on it. Yeah, um, that, that's why you're here. <laughs> there's definitely consolidation in the marketplace, and I think it will accelerate. Um, uh, and I think there's several factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire print market is in a transition right now as uh, a combination of things happen. Um, advances in technology are certainly a driver. Um Companies who are able to make the investments in driving new technologies, especially as more and more of the printed product that is uh, distributed is being done digitally, um, that that technology requires a sizable investment. Um, and for a smaller uh, print facility that uh, you know is already struggling or potentially you know looking at uh, how do I how do I finance the next round of technology and how do I actually implement it into my existing right. processes? Um, it's mm-hmm. a sizable barrier for many of the smaller groups to to keep up in that space. Um, I think another area is the print industry in general has not done a good job of. Uh, presenting the exciting opportunities to a younger group of people, uh, especially in the universities and, sure. and, and attracting a younger set. So you see a, a quite a bit of an aging uh, ownership structure with a lack of secession plan in many mm-hmm. of the smaller companies, uh, which is creates a challenge as well. So mm-hmm. um, you add to that with uh, the ongoing market challenges, uh, you know, because because the market is in such a transition, what you did 10 years ago is probably not going to be uh, marketable today. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even five as, years ago. Or even five years ago, you know, as the expectation of personalization and at least customization and uh, integration with digital, mar- digital media um, becomes more critical, um, you know, it, it, it is a transformation that's happening inside the industry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely don't think it's going away. Actually, we see lots of growth opportunities, mm-hmm. um, but it's no longer necessarily the mass produced um, primary channel. Mm-hmm. It's more of a secondary channel that's highly targeted. So. Um, I always, so I think you'll see a continuation of consolidation uh, sure. in the marketplace um, as those that are able to adapt rapidly to changing market circumstances and make the investments to do that um, are able to grow and increase their profitability and others, you know, are going to need to uh, find ways to monetize what their existing customer base have, uh, is. I um, am still amazed when I look at printing industry statistics, when I see how much printing is still done analog, right? With, with, you know, web presses and things like that. It's, it's quite astounding, actually. It is astounding. It's one of the world's largest industries. uh, And uh, that transformation as, you know, 
analog uh, continues to shrink uh, and digital continues to grow. Um, but digital has a long ways to go to catch up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just interesting because when you when you come from the photo world where the analog to digital conversion has more or less happened uh, and happened a long time ago. Yes, there's some analog happening, but it's not nearly the the share that it is in the printing world. And, you know, from the photo perspective, every image is is unique, right? In the sense that they've always had runs of one, if you will, when you're making four by six prints or what have you. And now the printing industry is kind of catching up to that where you can have a personalized item, a basically a run of one item that's totally unique. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting to, to, to see that happening in the marketplace. So Very much so, and 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 the value of the printed product uh, becomes much stronger, you mm -hmm. know, as digital as digital media becomes more and more ubiquitous. Uh, high quality, high image uh, mm -hmm. printed piece becomes a higher value, and whether that is as a gift uh, to memorialize a vacation, or whether or not that is a mm -hmm. sales piece that helps you make a decision to actually convert into a sale. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it equally effect works well as a, uh, a tactile uh, experience that helps burn that brand into your market, into your brain cells. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing when you look at some of the like uh, finishings and coatings and things like that that can be applied now almost in a digital way. Uh, like with Scotics and things like that, that is now trickling down to, um, you know, amateur work where people can have, you know, a coding on their photo book that is unique. And it's just, it's just fascinating to watch this, how far personalization is going to go to kind of, as you say, add value to printed piece. Exactly. Yes. No, it's a, uh... And, and with a generation um, and upcoming generations that have an expectation of, of things being personalized to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the table stakes now, right? Now, speaking of, you mentioned before your, your company culture. Um, that's something I want to touch on because as we've all been experiencing this year, there's a bit of a pandemic. And can you talk a little bit about how your company has responded to the pandemic? Uh, because you've taken kind of a leadership role, at least in the printing industry, with some uh, guidelines that you've shared of how your company has responded. Um, yes. So I'm uh, RPI has been on a cultural journey for 10 years now, um, really focused on building a common vision, mission, and set of values, which turned out to also be a phenomenal basis for a change uh, management platform. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. so, yes, when, when something unforeseen hit us, like in this case, COVID-19, uh, my team was able to respond uh, extremely quickly. And within days, uh, we used CDC guidelines. Uh, we used our own uh, medical expert uh input um, and we built out a series of procedures um, and steps that we would take uh, in order to protect our employees um, in every circumstance that we could come up with. Um, as we did that, 
Um, you know, there were obviously lots of people in the industry um, that were all trying to figure out how do I stay open as an essential business right? Um, for those of us who were essential businesses and how do I protect my employees um, so that um, they're safe? Sure. And uh, I'm happy to say that, you know, everything from screening everyone who came into the building to limiting the number of people that came into our facilities uh, to responses to any kind of symptoms on the floor uh, in production uh, and to our quarantine uh, periods. Um, all of those have been very effective in helping us to react quickly um, mm -hmm. and keep our keep our teams safe. So, um, you know, today, today we have uh, facilities that uh, follow those procedures um, and uh, keep them keep our employees safe, um, mm -hmm. just based on the CDC guidelines and following those in in all of our locations, honestly. So how did how were those protocols and those procedures developed uh you know was it it was it a team approach i mean you've got multiple facilities right and so there's probably different physical con configurations in all of those facilities um was it a bottom up sort of uh, process a cross functional team process how was that managed it was actually a cross-functional team process. So each of our facilities have general managers um, and then leaders for each of the functions. Uh, we quickly built teams, cross-functional teams to mm -hmm. uh, address everything from um, signage uh, to marking and production of keeping people six feet apart from shutting down or limiting uh, contact inside of the break rooms mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to um, creating new sanitation stations every few feet within our facilities. Um, all of those activities were coordinated between my facilities and the leaders in the um, yeah, I'll just say the leaders inside of those organizations at every mm -hmm. level. Um, were able to not only change their procedures, but do so in a way that made it sustainable and turned it into the new standard practice um, right. that we could carefully enforce. And, mm -hmm. and today, it's, uh, in, in today's environment, we, we consider it just part of our safety efforts and mm -hmm. uh, named it, uh, it's the six-foot culture. So we are... Mm -hmm. We are working throughout our organization to create the, just make it standard part of our life that we create a six foot distance between ourselves um, and, and wear all the protective safety gear. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not likely it's going to change anytime soon. Certainly not by the time the uh, fourth quarter holiday season hits. So certainly you're yeah. going to, I mean, it's good. So you've done some webinars and things like that on that. Is that something uh, people can check out somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can access that on dscoop.org on our idea exchange. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a recording of uh, a recording of that webinar um, mm -hmm. that's archived there. And what kind of uh, 
material was it was it more or less a how how you did it sort of thing so people could take away some learnings from that or is there like any materials they can download yep there was a combination of you know how we reacted what the impact was um and then yes there's i think uh there's a host of documents as part of that package that you can download and utilize in your own organization as well that's great so it sounds to me like you're fairly optimistic um present circumstances notwithstanding about the future of print? Uh, extremely, yes. I think that uh, print communications and the ability for print to connect on an emotional level um, makes print an essential part of our communication structure. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the opportunities inside of this, inside of this uh, uh, industry um are are massive for those that are able to adapt rapidly so i'm i'm quite uh bullish on the market and our opportunities in the market um though it's not the traditional traditional uh project-based uh transactional print that we saw in the in the past yeah that's i think if, any, if we've learned anything about 2020 is that uh, things change very rapidly and permanently. <laughs> yes, I would expect that, uh, you know, the things, the things that we are doing now to adapt to this current situation out of that many, many of them will become standard procedures in the future. Um, you know, I, we don't expect the COVID pandemic uh to really return to normal until about a year from now um, because mm -hmm. it just takes time for the vaccines to um, become become widely available and widely accepted mm -hmm. and a lot and of even it then there will be social change there'll be social change just in people's behaviors as well right right and that's what i'm just going to say even even if you know magically a vaccine were to be available in the third or fourth quarter this year there will still be some behavior changes that are still going to happen over that time people you know so it's it's like you said it's good this is going to be a long haul this is going to be an interesting time yep and and many of the things that we're doing now um you know we we spoke we speak about this a lot on our teams uh, a lot of the things that we're doing now um should help us in the future with any other flu outbreaks or normal sure. disease outbreaks, as well as future pandemics as well. So many of the practices that we're implementing mm -hmm. um, simply are best practices in inside of a inside of an organization anyway. So. Yeah, there, yeah, there really shouldn't be a downside to keeping your customers and your associates safe. There's really no downside to that. Exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you, Rick, for your time today. I appreciate uh, you speaking to me so soon after the acquisition. Hope things are going well and hope to catch up with you soon. Thanks, Gary. Much appreciated. Talk soon. Yep. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.